Well, this morning, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. As we said in our prayer, we're coming down now to the end of, the, of this Gospel, in which we've looked at. Uh, <clears throat> this morning, we will take up, really, verses 20, or chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. At least, that's, that's, my, that's my plan. And... Um, as we begin here, we notice that the time frame is the day after the Sabbath, as it was called in the other Gospels. And uh, we begin here on the first day of the week, as it mentions in verse 1. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and read verses 1 through 12, and then we will back up. <clears throat> now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, that they would be the women back in uh, chapter 23, uh, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the disciples." And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchres, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid about themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. As you remember last week, we just really kind of introduced this chapter because it was dealing with some very important aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is the resurrection. And we will not go through all that we went through last week. But we do know that the part of the gospel is that Jesus arose from the dead according to the scriptures. And uh, so this is a very important aspect that we're looking at today. It's not just a narrative, which it is. But there is lots of theology, as it were, packed behind all of this, and that we saw last Lord's Day. So we won't uh, pick up with that any longer. But as we mentioned, as we begin verse 1 and 2 here, we see that the time frame of this is after, as we said, the Sabbath, as the other Gospels do testify. And, of course, this one says now it's the first day of the week. And they did rest, as we noticed from the, the previous chapter, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandments. So these ladies, as well as the Jewish nation as a whole, in some form or fashion, was keeping uh, the fourth commandment. That is, they were to rest on uh, a certain day and then they were to work the other six, as the scripture teaches. Now, it's the first day of the week, or what we would sometimes call Sunday, or the Lord's Day in this particular time. But nonetheless, here again, we do see that it's very early in the morning. Now, it's the first day of the week. Uh, 
Mark calls it at the rising of the sun as far as the time frame is concerned. The they of this chapter, as we mentioned previously, is from that which is mentioned back in verse 55. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. In other words, they were viewing all this in preparation that they were going to come after the Sabbath, after they had their, their rest, they were going to come and they go, were going to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus because of what has taken place, his death and, of course, his burial. From uh, John's account, we also see who these ladies were, but also down in verse 10, we see it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. And it notices there in verse 10, some other women. But in uh, John 20, next book over, John 20, verse 1. It says, in the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene. Notice it's only her at this point. Here again, we see not not the problem with Scripture, but how that the Scripture just gives us certain information at certain times. That's not an error. That's not a problem. This is just simply how the Holy Spirit did it. We only see one name there. And then also in Mark 16, back of book, we see it a little more fully. Mark 16. And verses 1 and 2, if I can get over there now. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and notice here, Salome had brought sweet spices. Now, here's the purpose of why they were doing it, that they might come and anoint him. Pay close attention to that because we have a couple of comments about that here in a few moments. But they do come to anoint the Lord Jesus. Now, to me, all of this chronology is a little bit fuzzy, so I'm not going to try to work that out. But we do know, at least as the time frame here, it's the first day of the week. It's after the Sabbath. These ladies are coming here to anoint the Lord Jesus. Well, but be that as it may, there was a number of women that did come and, of course, visit the tomb. And the purpose, as I said, was to anoint the Lord Jesus with those spices. Now, look in verse 2 and 3. It says, And they found the stone, this is what they found when they got there, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. So, in fact, we read in the other Gospels, as they were coming to the tomb, they were kind of scratching their head. How are we going to roll that stone away? And so they were asking themselves that. Well, by the time they get here, they find out, though, that the stone has been rolled away itself or has been rolled away. And we note it is and from another gospel. It's done by uh, an angel. But uh, here we don't read that. But, of course, they do see uh, the, the stone being rolled away in verse two. And so with the opening there, then then they go in and they venture in and they see that the body actually is gone. It's not there. Now, notice verse 4. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed. Now, what do we make of that? Could they figure this out exactly at the moment? No. They too, just as Peter is going to be and some of the other apostles at this time, they too are just a little fuzzy about what has taken place here. Now, remember that, because there's all these commentators who make much of this fact that the women came here and it was acting as if they had great faith and all that kind of thing. But they, at this point, 
don't understand what's taking place. Now, notice they're perplexed. And then there are two men that appear, or as our text reads, stood by them in shining garments. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, that is about the situation. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments and they were afraid, not the two men, but the women, and bowed their faces to the earth. They said unto them, why seek ye, that is the angels do, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. So as they're standing there perplexed, in fact, as we see here, much perplexed in verse 4, they see these two shining visitors standing there. And then in verses 5 through 7, we see the declaration of these angels. Now, probably only one spake, as we see back in another parallel passage in regard to this, but uh, which is, of course, more complete. We see a little more complete picture of all this. But the angel here, though, declares unto them, first of all, that he's not here. But he noticed, why ye seek, why seek ye the living among the dead? That's what they were doing. They were coming among the dead and looking for the Lord Jesus for the purpose of anointing his dead body. And so they are afraid and they see this. And so they ask them, why seek ye the living among the dead? And here's their declaration of this point. He is not here, but is risen. And so this is the news that they receive, that the Lord Jesus is no longer here. He has rose from the dead, just as he goes on to say, just as he spoke unto you in Galilee. So he reminds them how how the Lord had already told them of this very fact. Now, only Luke mentions this point here that it was in Galilee. But you can notice in uh, Matthew 17... And we see the Lord's teaching upon this in chapter 22, or excuse me, uh, Matthew 17 and verse 22. And while they abode in Galilee, so it wasn't just the apostles, but also the ladies who were constantly ministering unto the Lord. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed in the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again, and they were exceeding sorry. So here, not only did the disciples hear this, but apparently, according to Luke 24, even these ladies heard this information. Also, Mark 9. Mark chapter 9. Again, this is in Galilee. It seems to be speaking only to the men, the disciples, but also, as we see from Luke, that the, apparently the ladies were privy to this as well. And it says there in chapter 9 and verse 30. Oops. Uh, and they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But of course, in verse 32, they were afraid to ask him. What do you mean by that? And so they do not ask him of it. No one does, as a matter of fact. And then notice something else they say in verse 7, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day rise again. Notice he, they use the word must there. Well, why must this happen? Well, it's because of a couple of things. First of all, 
This was what was written in the prophets in regards to him. Remember, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. At Paul's time frame when he wrote that, the only scriptures that were written were what? Not the gospel accounts, but they were the Old Testament passages. So, obviously, the Old Testament had foretold or had prophesied that Christ would die and that he would be buried and that he would rise again. So, it was a must thing. In order to fulfill the prophecies, the promises, the Word of God of the Old Testament. Secondly, not only must this take place, but it was part of the eternal counsels of God. That Jesus would come. He would be the mediator of the new covenant. He would be our surety, the sinner's substitute. And just as the sinner deserved to die and to suffer the pains of eternal death, the Lord Jesus did that for us. And so it was decreed then that this was to take place. So there was a must in two cents there. One, the fact that the scriptures taught it. And then secondly, the fact that the everlasting covenant or the eternal covenant of God, the council of old, the decree, all of this was predestinated. And of course, that's why we would find it then in the Old Testament. And then notice verse 8. It's like, ah, I know now. And they remembered his words. In other words, up to this point, they had forgotten the words that the Lord Jesus had spoken about his death, the burial, and the resurrection. These ladies who rushed to the tomb in order to anoint the dead body of the Lord Jesus. Well, let me give a couple applications just on this point here. Notice this fact that they remembered his words, that is, the words of the Lord. You know, how at times, brethren, do we need to be reminded of some of the uh, basic but yet great truths of the gospel. Here, the death, burial, and resurrection was taught in the Old Testament. These ladies heard it here in the gospel accounts in the two passages that we turned in Matthew 17 and Mark 9. But they had forgotten. So how often, brethren, do we forget some of the grand truths of the gospel? A lot, don't we? And that's why we have these reminders. That's why, for instance, we have the Word of God and especially the public preaching of it to quicken our minds to these wonderful truths that uh, not only save our souls, but are they the very instrument of sanctifying us on our way to the celestial kingdom. And then there are those, though, what some people call the ordinances of the Lord. That is, the Lord's Supper. Are we, do we not take, when we take up the bread and the cup, are we not reminding of ourselves of these great gospel truths? And thus then the necessity of being found faithful in the Lord's table or at the Lord's table. Our baptism, remember again, that teaches us, that's a visible picture. If we can think back that far or here recently as the case may be for your particular uh, soul, that when you were baptized, you were setting forth, according to Romans 6, something of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So these are these handy little reminders to us that we all need. And we may fault these ladies here saying, well, why couldn't they remember? Well, they have the same hearts we do. And we have the same hearts that they do. 
And we can at time forget. You know, even the Lord's Supper, the very point of it, it says, do this in remembrance of me. As if we would forget. And of course we would. And that's why we need to have these particular things before us. Now, the reason I kept bringing this up about the fact that these ladies came to do the very thing that you read a lot of these commentaries. and I've actually heard sermons and they talk about the great faith of these women and how that. And I think maybe to take the blunt off of the word of God, that does doesn't necessarily uh, uh, I won't say that it downgrades women because I don't believe it does that. But there are certain things women just cannot do as far as the the Bible is concerned. They're not to teach in public assembly. They're to be quiet and they're to be submissive to their husbands and all that kind of thing that nowadays that are considered degrading, which the Bible calls uh, something of a great price there in Second First Peter chapter 3. But in order... They feel they have to kind of take the edge or the blunt off the blunt off the edge of that. Then they they say things necessarily not true. But notice these women here were coming to anoint the dead body. They didn't believe it either, did they? Or they would not have been coming there to anoint his dead body. The purposes of those spices and the ointments were was to, as we would say, embalm him. They considered him dead. They considered him in the grave. And they didn't consider him rising again the third day as he had already publicly proclaimed. So these ladies' faith was no different, really, than the apostles who later get all the bad uh, press and that they didn't believe the things necessary to Scripture. But here again, notice that they were also in verse 4, much perplexed. They didn't understand what was going on, did they? They, too, had to be reminded of the fact that he had already taught them these things. So, they were in the same boat as the men will be here in just a little bit. So, it's not like, oh, the women here had such great faith. No, they were going on the premise that he was dead and that he had not risen from the dead as he plainly said that he would. So, that's just how the scriptures lay, brethren, and we ought to believe it as it is, rather than trying to make up things and distort some things in order because we don't like something that something else has said. Well, notice also verse 9, it says, and they, and they that is the, uh, who they're talking about, and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Thankfully, they believe it now. Whether they were convinced fully at the beginning, and it doesn't seem that they were, they are now. They, they, they hear the, what the, the um, <clears throat> angels had said. They see with their own eyes that the Lord is not there. They remembered it, it says in verse 8, they're his words. And so then they returned from the sepulcher, also knowing that had, they had been told to go tell, from another passage account, they'd been told to go tell the brethren of this very fact. We see, hence then, they were obedient. That's the good point. They obey, they believe now, and now they are obedient. Hence, obedience and knowledge, brethren, should go together. Here we see the angels instructed them to go, and also our Lord Jesus does as well in another place, and they do do, they do that very thing. They go tell his disciples. Knowledge or faith without obedience is worthless. And that's where a lot of people find themselves, don't they? 
They're not very faithful. They believe, they say they believe all these things, all these great truths, but it makes little or no difference in their walk. What do you think of that kind of faith? Well, James calls it a dead faith, doesn't he? Even the devils have a faith. So, we need to be careful in regards to that. Also, notice verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, we see who it is here that testified to the disciples. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the Mary of the mother of James and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. So again, they are obedient, and we see exactly, or at least partially, who went there. Then notice verse 11. Here's some sad things. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Now again... We can fault the apostles, but we'd have to fault the women as well, won't we? Because they didn't believe this either until it was pointed out to them. But nonetheless, you would think these fellows who had walked with the Lord Jesus for these three years had, had plainly heard that he was going to rise again the third day, knew something of the Old Testament scriptures, and yet it see, we see here in verse 11, they believed not. Now think about this. You know, in the scripture, it says the witness of two or more people, it ought to be believed. Well, here were several women who came to tell the disciples that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, that he was arisen according to the angels. They should have believed on that testimony, shouldn't they? That was in the law of God. If you're going to tell a truth, you need two or more witnesses to testify. Even Jesus himself makes note of that. And the Gospel of John as he's defending his Messiahship there in chapters 8 and 9. And so they should have been, they should have been believed. They should have noted. But, notice though, unbelief was very active in their hearts, wasn't it? Yet, it says there, and they believed them not. But notice something else it says in regards to these fellows. They considered them, what? Idle tales. Hmm. That's sad, isn't it? Idle tales. And we'll have application to that. Let's go on to verse 12 and then we'll apply all this. As we see here that Peter, and if we read the gospel account of John's, we see that John also goes to sea. And even after viewing the scene, Peter goes away wondering. Then arose Peter and ran down, ran unto the sepulcher and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was to come to pass. So, well, shame on Peter. Well, you know, he didn't have two shining angels standing there declaring unto him as he did these ladies, did he? But here's Peter again doubting. John also is doubting. He says he believed. I think the point there in John's account, when it says he believed, it meant he believed the testimony that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. Now, how he got out, they wasn't sure yet. But the fact that John did believe, Peter didn't believe until he got in there. But now that he's in there, he's perplexed as well as to what's taken place. Okay, those 12 verses. Now, what does all this mean to us? First of all, What a wonderful and powerful truth it is of what we consider the empty tomb. And that, of course, we spoke last Lord's Day and how we see uh, the greatness of the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is one of those central truths in the salvation of our souls. Justification. 
is also involved in the idea of the resurrection. Uh, he was resurrected for our justification according to uh, Romans chapter 3, the very last verse. Secondly, uh, while we may commend these women of their boldness and their ready acceptance of all after they come to the tomb and see all that, but as we said, they too had a misunderstanding because they were coming to anoint the body. They didn't believe that he too had a... And while we're not trying to say, well, we know better now, well, of course we do. We're looking at hindsight here. But again, notice where unbelief takes us. The sinfulness of unbelief. Thirdly, uh, notice the angel's proclamation. Uh, I think we ought to behold something here of the angels and all of this. Behold their readiness uh, to obey the Lord. Notice, they were the ones who uh, foretold his birth. You remember in the Luke's Gospel, the the uh, host of angels appearing unto the shepherds and telling them about the birth of Christ. Also, they were the ones who ministered unto the Lord Jesus and His temptation there in the wilderness. Also, it was an angel who strengthened the Lord there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think of that. They talk about the humiliation of our Lord. Here He is suffering in the Garden, whatever that was He was suffering at that point. And an angel comes, one of His created Creatures comes and suckers, as it were, the Lord Jesus. Not sucker children in a bad sense, but in a good sense. Helps, uh, ministers. And now we see them in our passage before. So the point of that is, they are ready and willing creatures. Would to God, we would be that way. You know, I get so tired of this Calvinist, you know, you hear this, well, you're just making us a robot for God. I'd love to be a robot for God and just do what he says. Wouldn't you? Do you want to carry around this dead, remaining, corrupted, sinful thing that's in us and, and continue to disobey? Oh, I would love to be an, uh, a robot that God programmed that I would do just what He wanted me to do. So I would not sin. What is there to complain about that? I just don't understand that. Except the deceitful heart of man wanting to yell about his so-called free will and boast on something that it does, it's, that's a false god to begin with. Man does not have free will. But not only is that true, that what a blessed state that they are in and worthy of our uh, imitation, but they ought to be, now careful, be careful here, they ought to be admired, not worshipped, but admired. The angels and their ministry they're in the Scriptures for some reason. I didn't say worship them. I didn't say bow down to them. But we ought to admire their readiness to be submissive to their God. Fourthly, we often need those reminders to our own noodles and minds and consciences, even some of the basic truths of Christian doctrine. Remember, Peter says, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just wanting to call you to remembrance the things that you've already known. And that's my job here, preaching. It is not so much to open up the mysterious things that no one ever else knew or could ever find out. We teach the same old truths that's been believed all the, ever since the Scriptures were finally written down for us. My job is to remind you of those truths because we do so often forget, don't we? And then again, we mentioned earlier that unbelief 
We see this in the ladies and we also see it in the apostles. What a great sin that keeps us from understanding the truths. I'm often, we're often confronted when we tell people a certain doctrine that they don't believe and they say, well, I just don't understand it. It doesn't surprise me. If they don't believe a particular doctrine, how in the world do you expect them to understand the doctrine? You have to believe it first before you can understand more about through faith, the scripture says, we understand that the worlds were framed and so forth. And then lastly, don't be too surprised, brethren, when we tell men the truths of Christianity that we are not believed. These ladies came, I'm sure, with joy in their hearts, rejoicing with all this knowledge that they wanted to impart to the disciples that the, the, the Lord Jesus had fulfilled the promises of Scripture. The angels themselves have spoken to us that He has risen from the dead. He's no longer in the tomb. They get there with all this great news and they say, we don't believe it. That's an idle tale. How many of us have been confronted like that? Maybe not so bold to our face or maybe as bold to our face. We just don't believe that. I don't believe what you're saying. How many lost folks have we told the truth of the gospel and they go away not believing? Well, it happens. We see it recorded even in Scripture. But what's even sadder, it's sadder when lost people don't see it because that's their everlasting damnation if they continue to reject it. But even professing Christians. This is who... These ladies are talking to, they talk, they're talking to those who name the name of Christ. She, they're talking to apostles and disciples, immediate disciples of our Lord Jesus. And yet they thought they were telling them idle tales. So again, we shouldn't be surprised when we struggle with our families, struggle with our friends, struggle with our work. Folks, about the truths of the gospel, truths of the Bible, truths of doctrine, and they won't hear, they won't listen, and they won't obey. Should we be surprised? We see it all through Scripture. Doesn't take the sadness away from it, doesn't take the blunt away from it, the edge away from it, and all that. But, brethren, we shouldn't go away thinking, oh, oh, they won't believe me. Well, we see Scripture teaching us that very thing, already giving us that warning, as it were, that they're not going to heed. And then lastly, I think I said number six, but I found another page here. Number seven is uh, Christianity. Let me tell you this morning, for those of you who believe it not, let me assure you this morning, it is no idle tale. It's the truth. The Bible is true. The gospel is true. And it is worthy of our trust, our faith, and our believing Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, and we'll close with this. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful, or we would say a true saying, a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Notice Paul says it is worthy of all acceptation. The great news of sinners saved by Christ Jesus is worthy of all belief. And yet, will you believe it? 
Will you go on in your sins? Will you go on in unbelief? Knowing here is the gospel set before you in blazing color, as it were, worthy of all acceptation. Only a fool would go away in unbelief.